Um, yeah, Happy New Year, everybody. Uh, I did say Happy New Year last week, but there's a lot more people here this week, so I'll say Happy New Year again. So the thing about New Year is we do certain things, don't we? We, we have our New Year's Eve party, we uh, celebrate a New Year, and lots of us do something called make a resolution. How many of you made a New Year's resolution this year? <laughs> okay, right. Okay, well, that's, that's okay, because you're going to make one by the end of this talk. Okay, so all you that were too lazy to bother or having learnt from past failure, realise that it's a futile exercise, which is probably the reason, you've got a chance this morning to make a resolution. And one of the things that, that we, we, we profile a lot when we talk about New Year's resolution is it's very much a season for self-improvement. So we think about things... Um, that, that will make us better. Um, one of the, I don't know if any of you have seen that new advert that they're running on TV, the, the, uh, uh, the Museum of Procrastination. And it has this thing in it, and, and the first room he takes these people to is health club membership cards that have only been used once. <laughs> That's because somebody made a New Year's resolution in January and signed up to a health club. Or we, we, we think that we'll, we'll go on a diet... Yeah, not too quickly because we've still got some leftovers, but we'll go on a diet or we'll lose some weight or we'll get fitter or, or all those things. But basically what we do or what, what's happening here is we're asking a question. What should I do about me? How can I be a better me? What's wrong with my life and how can it be better? And... How do I get fitter? How do I get smarter? How do I get stronger? All those sort of questions. So we, we do that in this season of self-improvement. Now, this morning, what I'm going to uh, do is I'm going to try and get you to look at what is a bigger, broader question. And I'll, I'll make a little prediction here that, that what happens is whenever you ask somebody a question or whenever you challenge anybody... It produces a variety of responses. You can have a response which is, yeah, okay, that was an interesting sermon, Mike, what's for Sunday dinner? Or you can have a, yeah, I really need to do that, and then by the middle of this afternoon, you're too busy, and it's gone by the wayside. Or you can say, I'm going to take that seriously and do something with it. And I've been praying all this week that the people here this morning will be those who'll take it seriously and do something with it. So, i got God on my side. Okay, I've bribed him, I've talked him into it. You're under pressure to do something with this morning. Now, I'm going to, the, the way I'm going to do this this morning is it's not so much a preach. It's more of a bit of prophetic and it's a more of a bit of a family chat. So, if you're new here this morning, you're really lucky because you get to look in on how we work. You get to look in on, on how Cheryl and I and Roger and Olive think about, well, when we do think, yes, good point, Roger. <laughs> but basically, what our heart is. So you get to a bit of an insight. So although it's a family chat, it's really uh, great that you're here to hear it because it'll give you an insight on what God is doing here. 
and what we're about. So I'm going to start. There's a couple of passages we're going to look at. So if you put your finger in Nehemiah, which is sort of just to the left of the middle of the Old Testament, and then you go a bit further on, and if you find Psalm 90. So I'm going to be looking at the passages there. And I'm going to do something a little bit unusual for us, um, is that I'm going to read a whole chapter of Nehemiah. And it's, to make it easy, I'm going to pick chapter one, because that's easier to find than the other chapters. But I'm going to read a whole chapter of, of Nehemiah. And um, the thing about Nehemiah is this is a story of a leader who did an extraordinary thing for God. And why it's particularly interesting is this is one of the few books of the Bible that has no miracles in it. This man, Nehemiah, did an extraordinary thing by hard work, discipline, and following through on a vision. And I think that's really important that, that often we can be discouraged because we think we're not kitted out spiritually to do things for God. But the truth is that if you set your course, if you resolve to do something and you go at it with hard work, you can achieve great things. And Nehemiah shows us that. That's, that's the value of that book. Now, basically in terms of background, what's happening with Nehemiah? Well, Nehemiah, as we, we're going to find out, is he's quite a, a privileged sort of guy. Now, what's happened is that the nation of Israel had been split into two a lot many years before, and various people had come along and said, if you keep turning away from God... Uh, it's not going to go well for you. People are going to invade, take you into captivity. And what actually happened is they didn't behave well and they were taken into captivity. Now, um, under this original king called Nebuchadnezzar, because it was Babylon that invaded, they took all the brightest and best from Judea, the bottom bit of Israel, and they took them into captivity. So they cherry-picked. And some of those brightest and best you'll have heard about, people called Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And they were so bright and so clever that they rose right up in the structure of the Babylonian Empire. Now, what happened then is that during Daniel's lifetime, that Babylonian Empire fell. And it was succeeded by a jointly run, the, the only empire in history run by a committee, called the Medo-Persian Empire. And that had two guys. It had a guy called Cyrus, who was the charismatic upfront leader. And it had a, a, an admin leader called Darius, one from each camp. And in, those, in that place, we find this guy called Nehemiah. And when we, when we find Nehemiah at the start of this chapter, he's been... Uh, basically, the nation of Israel and all its worship, all its sacrifices, all the temple worship, everything at this point has been shut down for 70 years. So that's the background to what we're going to read. Okay, you, you with me? Right, let's, let's start. Uh, verse 1. The words of Nehemiah, see, told you that's what he's called, the son of Hakliah. Now, it happened in the month of Chisleb, 
In the 20th year, while I was in Susa, or Sushan, it says the citadel or the capital. Basically, the Medo-Persian Empire, because it was uh, run by committee, had a number of capitals over provinces. Nehemiah is in the most important one called Sushan. And the Hananiah, one of my brethren, so a Jewish guy, comes along to him called Hananiah, came with men from Judah and because I was interested, because it's on my mind, because I think about these things, I, was, I asked him concerning the Jews who'd escaped, some of them had got out of captivity, who'd survived the captivity and concerning Jerusalem. In other words, he's asking what is going on. He's like, what, what's happening back in the homeland? What, how are people managing? How are people faring? Because at this point, something else has happened. A guy, th- th- this man Cyrus has issued a proclamation which was actually prophesied by God hundreds and hundreds of years beforehand that he, that he would raise up a man called Cyrus who would send the Jews back to their homeland. And he sent them back. So basically what Nehemiah is doing is he's saying, what's happening now that we, we, they've gone back? How's it going? Is it all really good? Because you would expect they'd gone back to the homeland and it would be going really well. And this, this is what happens. And they said to me, the remnant there in the province who survived the captivity are in great distress and reproach. And the wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are burnt with fire. That doesn't look like it's going too well, does it? Now, there's a couple of reasons for this. And, and I want you to understand this. I want you to pick out things because I believe this is prophetic for the time we are in right now. Now, what had happened here is the brightest and best, remember, they were the ones that were first taken into captivity and had risen up in the, in the system. They didn't go. They didn't go because they had got happy with their position, their comfort, their standing, and their money. And so, whilst the people en masse went back, All those that had been successful in the empire said, nah, I'm okay, life's good for me, I'm not going back. So that's one thing that happened in that people had got absorbed by their success. They got absorbed by their career. They got absorbed by their busy life and they said, Forget it, I'm not interested in that God stuff. I'm not, yeah, I, you know, I'd love to go back. I'd love to see it done. I'd love Jerusalem to be rebuilt. I'd love the walls to be done. I'd love temple worship to be restored. I'd love the presence of God to be back in Jerusalem. But guys, I'm just too busy. Oh, I'm doing too well. It's somebody else's problem. And that, that was endemic in what was happening, that, that there, there was no, um, that, that those quality of people had opted out of the things of God. They wanted God, but they also wanted much more what was in their life. Success, busyness, career, getting a degree, everything can stop you doing what God has asked you to do because they become your priority. They, and I don't say this lightly, they become your real God, a functional God. That's, that's where your God is. So that's what was happening. Now, basically when it says this great trouble and reproach, 
That means it's not going well, doesn't it? Now, those words, trouble and reproach, particularly that word reproach, basically, uh, when you look at what the, the Hebrew of that word means, it basically means people were laughing at them. They were going, hey, guys, you said you were coming back. You were set restoring Jerusalem. The presence of God was coming. That We were going to have this big move of God. Israel was going to be restored. You said all this. And what have you got? A few crumbly stones and nobody's interested. And they were being laughed at by everybody around them. And what was happening was, was even more than that because... What was also happening is that the people who'd gone back, they were finding themselves attracted by all the fantastic buildings and all the fantastic stuff and all the wonderful things that were happening by all the people who'd moved into the land while they were away. And they thought, oh yeah, that's much better than what we... Who wants to build some crummy old wall? Who wants to put some rubbish old temple up? Who wants to build God's church? We can just go and join theirs. Because doesn't it look great? We'll join theirs. And this is what this guy called Hananiah comes and tells Nehemiah. And so where do we go? Verse 4. Now it came about when I heard these words, that's Nehemiah, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. And I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. You know, this is the guy... He had this really comfortable life in this city called Shushan. And yet when he heard this story, it affected him. He wept. And he did something with that upset. He fasted. He prayed. He sought God, said, what do you want me to do about this, God? What do you want me to do about the fact that people are laughing at your church? What do you want me to do about the fact that that we we promised so much and here we are, tiny little minority with no impact and we can't even build the walls of our own church building. What do you want me to do about that, God? Because that's upsetting. Now, let's go on, verse 5. And I said, I beseech you, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God, you who keep your covenant and mercy with those who love you and observe your commandments. I want you to see two things there. God is a promise-making God. And he keeps his promises. So, Nehemiah is reminding God and saying to God, I know you're a God who keeps your promises. And I also know, God, that you're quite specific about what those promises are, and you've made a covenant. You've made a binding contract with my people and your nation, and you've done that, And it applies to those who love you and observe your commandments. So, basically, God, I know how this contract works. It works for those who do what it says, who follow the rules. Now, I want you to understand that is Old Testament. That is an old covenant. And it's different for us as New Testament believers. But basically, under the old covenant, it was do good, get good, do bad, get bad. That's all you need to know about the Old Testament. Do good, get good, do bad, get bad. And that's how it worked. And so Nehemiah is acknowledging that that's the way it worked. For us, the other side of the cross, 
We live in a different scenario where we live by faith in the victory of Jesus. Completely different thing. But for them, he said, I know it works. Do good, get good. Do bad, get bad. So let's go on. Verse, um, verse 7. Well, see, please let your ear be attentive, your eyes open, that you may hear the prayer of your servant, which I pray before you now, day and night, for the children of Israel, your servants, and confess the sins of the children of Israel. You know, he's aware that there's problems, and which we have sinned against you, both my father's house and I have sinned. We have acted very wickedly against you. What's he saying? He is saying, I can see what a shocking state we are in, but the truth is, God, we deserve it. We deserve to be in that mess. We deserve that people are laughing at us. We deserve it because we've not done what you asked us to do. We've been too busy with our own agenda and we haven't put you first, God, and we behave wickedly towards you and we deserve to be in this mess. Let's go on. Let's go on to verse 8 and 9. Remember, I pray, the word you commanded your servant Moses. Now, just look at that. Remember. I'll just come back to that in a minute. The word that you commanded your servant Moses said, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and keep my commandments, in other words, you start doing the covenant again, and do them, though some of you were cast out to the farthest part of the heavens, went into exile in Babylon and Mede and Persia and all that, yet I will gather them from there and bring them, I'll read it here, from there, and I will bring them to the place where I have chosen to cause my name to dwell. It's a bit of a shame that's missing off the bottom of the slide because it's actually the most important, but we're having trouble with the projector this morning, so it's not a fault of anybody, it's a fault of the projector. But I want you to see two things here. Firstly, this is what's called, um, if, you, if you're like a technical prayer, and one of the things I'm trying to do is, um, because we, we're all at different places, you know, you can understand and learn the deep things of God, but you can express those things in a way that everybody understands. You can say things simply. So I'm trying to avoid long words, and religious words and all that spiritual stuff and explain some pretty deep things. So don't mistake simple words for not deep. Simple words are enabling people and more and more people to be deep and understand God. And the situation here is this is called a prayer of petition, which is basically, and, and this is a prayer that is always 100% guaranteed to work if you pray it with faith. Why? Because you are reminding God of what he said, I will scatter you among the nations, he's done it, and you, God, promised you would bring us back. So therefore, God, I'm reminding you that's what you're promised, and by faith, I receive it. Works in the Old Testament, works in the New Testament. It's a prayer of petition. Now, what's he praying for? This is really important. It says, I will gather them from there. That means, that, that word gather means seize, grab hold of, and pull in. It's not like a, a little chicky doody putting hens under their arms and all that sort of 
stuff, you know, like, oh, lovely, lovely. It basically says, God, you promised you were going to do something that was so strong. You were going to seize people and put them back in that nation by your own power. Why were you going to do that, God? Because you said when we're there, when we walk in your ways, your presence is with us. That's the big thing that's upsetting Nehemiah, that the presence of God is not in the body of God. The power of God is not in the body of God. We translate that, not in the church. You see, you can do all the religious things, all the worship, all the prayers. You can have... You could even have me preaching, well, I wouldn't be very good at it, and not have the presence of God and not have the power of God. And that's what's upsetting Nehemiah. It's not just that the walls are down, it's that the presence of God isn't there. Because that's what God's promised, to be with his people. So let's go on. Verse 10. Now, these are your servants of the people who you've redeemed with your great power and by your strong hands. In other words, he's reminding them, God, you've bailed these people out time after time again because you love them. Even when they didn't deserve it, you went after them and brought them back to you. And he's saying, do it again, God. Do it again. Verse 11. Oh, Lord, I pray, please hear you, be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who desire to fear your name. Now, look at that. What's the quality of the person that this works for? Those who desire you. Those who want you, God, are the ones I'm talking about. Because Nehemiah recognises that that nothing's going to work until people want God more than they want all that prosperity, success, everything that they were currently having as, as they've risen through the ranks in the empire. If the brightest and best and, and, and everybody else was actually going to change anything and the presence of God was going to be where it was meant to be, people needed to desire God. That's the starting point. Desire God more than what you've got. And that requires changes. And New Year is a good time to make changes. That's why we do resolutions. So it was to those who desire... And what, what's the result for those per- people? The result is God keeps his promises, there is prosperity, they prosper, and there is success and favour on them. There is no success and favour, no supernatural success and favour on anybody who doesn't desire God to be first in their life. And, you know, I just want to speak a bit prophetically just short, just in a short way on this, and you might find it a bit blunt. But basically, as long as the church want what, wants what God has to give without giving itself, it cannot have what God wants to give and it will be frustrated because it doesn't get it. It will think God is making, breaking his promises and not showing up when in reality, the truth is that We are not desiring God. We are desiring something else first. So what we're asking God to do is gimme, gimme, gimme what I want 
before I'll give you what you want. And God goes, uh-uh. It doesn't work like that. I gave myself on a cross to redeem you. And I'm asking you to desire me because I love you. And that's got to come first. Okay. Now, so this guy called Nehemiah, he's got it made. He's, he's, what, what will we say now? He's living the life. He's living the life. He's, 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 he's rich. He's living in the palace. He's got everything he wants. And we find out that uh, right at the end of verse 11, which is off the bottom there, he says, I was the king's cupbearer. Basically, that's the guy that sits next to the king, the, 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 the most important person in the empire, and tastes his food and keeps everybody away from him. They did more than just drink the cup to see if it was full of poison. They were the guy who was the king's bodyguard. Now, you have to be very trusted by the king to be his bodyguard. Because otherwise you can knife him or poison him. So that's, that's the position Nehemiah had. Remember, the brightest and best have risen up. And so that's who Nehemiah is. And basically, he's going to go and ask the emperor, I want some indefinite leave here. So I want to go, and I can't tell you when I'm coming back. Because I have a priority in my life, and that is seeing the city rebuilt and the presence of God restored. Now, I was pondering this, and I was thinking, and it took me back five years when um, I was uh, a very senior partner in Deloitte. And, it, and the reason it took me back is because I've actually been doing some stuff this week over at Deloitte's offices in Birmingham. But as faith life grew, and as the presence of God was with us, and as, as we started pressing in to see more and more of God, God's call on my life was much bigger than the call of business. And so, because Cheryl and I were passionate about that, and we believed we feared God, and we desired God more than anything, I stepped down from that career that I'd done for 26 years. I took a, a huge, huge, well, basically gave up all my income to lead faith life. And it's that sort of thing that Nehemiah did. He, he had it all. But what he wanted God more than that. And he wanted to do what God wanted more than that. So it just took me back reading this. And um, basically the way, way that Nehemiah is, he, he saw what the issue was. He saw the need. You know, he saw... You know, we translated that to, there is a city out there called Cambridge where 94% of the people in that city and possibly more are going to hell. There's a need. There's the other 6%, 5 6%, Cambridge has a high church population compared to most places. It's actually 2% across England. But Cambridge has a high church population. There's, there's probably a lot of people in that remaining 5-6% who aren't able, who aren't growing, aren't connecting with God, don't know the presence of God, don't believe in miracles, don't know how to stand in faith, and getting their lives just smacked around all over the place. 
And Nehemiah said, you know, if we were Nehemiah, we said, I've seen it, God. And because I love you, I want to play my part in doing something about it. Are you with me? So, remember that question I asked at the start, what should I do about me? I want to ask a bigger, stronger question. I've got two questions for you this morning, but this is the first one of the two. It's a bigger, stronger question. It's not as challenging as the last question that's going to come, but it's challenging. And this is the question. What should I do about what's around me? What should I do about what's around me? What should I do, what can I do about what I see the problem is? Now, in your head, you might be saying, well, I can't do anything. Uh, I'm a a nobody. Uh, I don't have the skills. I don't have the time. Uh, It's too big a problem. Nobody's going to be able to do anything about it. You know, the church is dead and gone. You know, know, I know I'm a Christian, but you can't, you know, it's all hopeless. You might be thinking those sort of things in your head. Or you might be thinking, well, I'm just tired. Or... This wasn't quite what I was expecting this morning. You know, I'm I'm not over Christmas yet. You know, you might be saying that. You might be thinking, well, I've got nothing to bring. I've got nothing to offer. Um, I don't think I can do anything. The the biggest thing you might be thinking is, well, I could, but nothing's really going to change, is it? As long as God's people think like that, nothing will change. And as long as, if Nehemiah had thought like that, there would never have been the rebuilding of the city walls and the temple. If Nehemiah had thought like that. We can go, well, I'm to this, to that, whatever. I want to say this about our situation, which is faith life in Cambridge. Because one of the things I want to commit to and and we are committing to, is, you know, guys, we can talk so much church stuff. You can just talk church stuff all the time. I I could preach every Sunday morning, and and I've probably done this on a few occasions, where it sounds great, but it doesn't address a real issue that affects anybody. It's just all spiritual stuff. And I want to commit that what we will do in faith life going forward, and we've tried to do before, but I'm renewing it, is we want to talk about real life, which has real questions that, that you, you have, and we want real answers from God to those questions. And that's what we try and do in helping people grow, and that's what I try and do when I'm preaching. Real life, real questions, real answers. Not talking about stuff that that isn't a question in the first place. You know, when you look at Nehemiah, he's looking at this city and the walls are all crumbly. And maybe he's saying, you know, people were saying to him, we find out later that all sorts of things happen, but people come, and I just want to translate this into our context as well. And they start saying things... um, you know, they're there, he, goes to, he actually goes to the land and he finds out that what everybody else has looks better than what, what they've managed to do so far. And 
it is a fact. You know, Faith Life is, it's not a young church, but it, it, it's still in its infancy. And the fact is that other things look better. And what was happening when they went back to land is people started laughing. They were all laughing at them going, ah, look at you, you can't build anything. You haven't got what it takes. Look at our great buildings. Look what we built to our gods. Look what we've got from our admin centre. Look what this. And yet God had called Nehemiah to build the city walls and restore the presence of God to the city. And I believe that's the call of God on this church. And so whilst our walls might not be built... And whilst they might, you know, they might be a bit crumbly in parts still, and, and the gate might not be too beautiful just yet, and, you know, whilst you might think, you know, one of the things that, that, that does get said to Shavel and I, and probably some of the rest of you from others, is, well, all that trusting God, faith stuff, believing God for miracles, that doesn't work. You can't build a church like that. I will never build a church any other way because that is the church God has called me to build. And I believe that is a genuine expression of the goal of God on faith life. The only church that we can build is a church built on faith. It's our name. The only church we can build is a church that wants to see the supernatural, to see the miracles. And whilst others go, well, you can do it another way. You haven't got the money to put on what you need to put on. You haven't got the building to do what you need to do. I choose to do it God's way, even if it takes longer. And I will not change that. I told you it was a family chat this morning. And therefore, I'm excited, I'm passionate, um, whatever. But I won't do it any differently. I just, uh, I was thinking when... uh, the, the choice of songs that Sarah had this morning. And I was just thinking, like, it's going to follow through because they're, they're all going to come up at some point. They all link into one side. I didn't have no clue what she was going to talk about. But all that looking at the renewal of the presence of God in the city and us desiring God. It's so key. Now, the people we need to be are people who make a difference. The person you need to be is a person who makes a difference. Not everybody can change the world. In fact, honestly, nobody can change the world. But some people have the ability to change a slice of the world. And I believe Faith Life is called to change a slice of Cambridge. However, putting it on a personal level, whilst you might not think, well, I I, I just can't change anything, I don't have the ability to change the world. What you have is the potential to change someone's world. You might not be able to change the world, but you have the potential to change someone's world. And so, if you can recognise that in yourself, then I want you to come with us on the rest of the adventure called Faith Life, where we work together, we plan together, we walk together, we share together, we build together, and we go on a journey to see God's presence restored in this city and to see a church built on faith and miracles and the word of God.
So you might think, well, I can't change anything. But you can change something. And if you'll partner and commit to be part of this body, you'll change a lot more than you could on your own. That's how the kingdom works. It works on partnership. Now let's go to that other passage I was going to talk about. Psalm 90. This is where it gets a bit more personal because, you know, the walls are down in this city. The walls are down in this nation. The, 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 the impact of the church in this nation is like a crumbled wall and it needs rebuilding. And the only thing we can do about it is build what's here. And the only thing any of us as individuals can do about it is to make a difference to somebody else. But when we start there, it makes a difference on a bigger scale when we work together. So, a little bit of background to this. Just before Christmas, uh, I went up to visit my mum uh, in the Lake District and one of the things that Cheryl asked me to do is she asked me to... Um, go and put a wreath on her dad's grave and so I, I went and I got up early and went to the shops and hunted down a wreath and it was suitably manly which isn't easy suitably manly and, and got this wreath and took it to Cheryl's dad's grave and as I was there I had a god moment you know how you have god moments I had a god moment it wasn't spectacular you know there was no shining light there was no man in a white nightie turned up what the God moment I had was this. I started looking round at all the headstones near Shell's dad's grave. So they're all the people who've been buried in recent years. And I started looking at the ages that they were. And I expected, because people go, well, people live longer these days. I'm expecting them all to be 80s and 90s. And it starts to shock me that most people in that cluster have died at around 70. What really shocked me is I looked at one gravestone of somebody who had been dead for 10 years and I dated her when I was a teenager. That shocked me. I remember going on a date with her and she's been dead for 10 years. Let's go to Psalm 90. How does God speak into our now? Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Amen. You see, I need God to be everlasting to everlasting. I live in this little time frame, but I need a God that is beyond time, that was beyond everything, that can do something about my situation and my life that gives me hope. And I have a God who is everlasting to everlasting, and I, that's what I need him to be. I need him to be bigger than everything, including death, in, bigger than anything in my life, and that's who he is. Now, let's look what this says. Verse 3. So, uh, you are God. You turn people back to dust. And you say, return, O man, to dust. Now, even if you're like, not really very sure about God, and even if you were like, well, I don't know, you know I'm, I'm just starting to come back to God now, or I'm not sure about it all, or whatever. I'm not sure you can rely on the Bible. I got you there, didn't I? 
Isn't that true? We all go back to dust. Even if you don't believe anything else in the Bible, that's true, isn't it? We all go back to dust. In fact, we say it, don't we, at funerals? Ashes to ashes, dust to dust. You know, we didn't start with anything, we don't finish with anything. At the end of the day, it all goes back in the box. It does. It all goes back in the box. Now, I then got to start, I, I was worshipping, I was staying in a little lodge and I, when I was up there and I was worshipping and what really came to mind when I, and I read that verse is my Uncle Charlie. My Uncle Charlie was my dad's best friend. He wasn't an uncle at all, he was my dad's best friend and he used to come round on a Wednesday night and a Saturday night and he used to eat with us and then we'd play games because he used to play board games then because there wasn't, there wasn't the internet or anything else and... And we used to play board games and uh, all the rest of it. And he used to take me to cricket matches because he was keen on cricket and, and all these sort of things. And my Uncle Charlie died in 1978. When he was my age now. And I, and I got to thinking like, God, what if I only have five years left? What if I only have five years left? What am I going to do with them? It's certain I haven't got an infant number of years left, but what if I've only got five? And I wrote this down in my journal, which is why I carry notes on me, because I want to be accurate. What if I only have five years left? Lord, help me to live consumed by you. Living for your vision, on purpose, not playing defence, but on the attack to make a difference. Now, I don't want to put a dampener on the morning because it's a new year, but I'll say this to you. Statistically, the Christmas you've just had, for some people in this room, statistically, I'm not talking faith, faith changes this, but statistically, the Christmas you've just had, for some people in this room, is your last Christmas. your last Christmas. That's how fleeting life is. That's, what, that's why we need a God who's everlasting to everlasting, because we live from everlasting to everlasting. But this is what God says about the reality of the situation of somebody who doesn't know him. Let's have a look at verse 6. Well, I'll start five. They're like asleep. In the morning, they're like grass which grows up. In the morning, it flourishes and grows up. And in the evening, it is cut down and is but a whisper. That's what life is like. We're here to make a difference to somebody's life. And we're here because God created us to make a difference. And the difference we make, we make with him because his presence lives in us and through us and we do it by faith we do it by power we do it by his presence and we stand in faith on the word of god you see i was thinking about this whole new year's resolution thing and i'm thinking well if i've only got five years left what do i need to concentrate on because i'm not thinking like one year i'm thinking five years if i've only got five years left what do i concentrate on and i'm thinking well i need to be a better husband I didn't mention that to Cheryl because she'll get all sorts of ideas. And then I thought, well, I could, be, I could, well, I could have been a better dad. 
I, I need to work on being a better dad. And I'm starting to write down resolutions on being a better dad. And I'm thinking, I'm not showing Matthew that one. And Jess, forget it. I'm not telling him that that's what I think. And, and I started to think about all these things. And, and God said to me, that's not what I'm doing. That's not what I'm doing in you. That's not what I want to do. Yes, you can be a better husband. You can be a better dad. You can go to the gym. You can go on a diet. You can go sugar-free. You know, you can do all these sort of things, but that's not what I want you to... That's not what I'm trying to say to you at this moment. And so I said, God, what are you saying to me right now? Now, you know, um, this year, Cheryl and I are entering our 10th year of ministry. And whilst it's been an exciting journey, I think the truth is, when we set out, we had absolutely no concept it would be this hard. We had no... I told you it was a family chat. We had no concept it would be hard like it is. Not a clue. We just thought we'd just breeze along. You know, a lot of you... Well, every, every week you get to see me preach. But the reality is, although you might not necessarily think it in, in the, my style or whatever, you might like my style, you might not, I'm not that bothered, it's my style, it's the only one I've got. We are pastors. And I want to say this, we have pastors' hearts. And more than anything... As pastors, what we want is people to care. To care. You know, there's, when you move forward as a church, and we've grown over the years, I mean, fantastic, like just all you guys this morning, and, and I'm thinking, like, I've already made four or five phone calls to people this morning, or families that I know aren't here because they're somewhere else or doing something else or they're recovering from an operation or whatever. And I've run them up this morning and, and, and like we can all think of probably 10, 15 people who aren't here and like ARU isn't back and, and all the rest of it and there's people out in kids' work and we, it's grown over the years. But as you grow, as you move forward, I, I've written this down because I wanted to be clear on this and not say something I didn't mean. But... The more we work on reaching people, growing people, and seeing life changed, the more pressure there is on Cheryl and I to fit into a mould. To fit into a mould. To be something we are not. You know, I get, over the, over the, the years, you get emails as a pastor. I just want you to know that you get emails. And they'll say things like, you can't say that. Or, we don't do enough of this. Or, if we did more of that, we'd be a better church. Or, if we did more of that, we'd be more successful. Or, if we gave money here, it would be great. Or, if we did this, or if we did that, or if we did this. And God has put something on all your hearts. And that's great. And our pastor's heart says, we would love to do it all. And we tried. And you can't. You can only do what God's asked you to do. And you have to stick with what God's asked you to do. No matter what the pressure. 
More people means more pressure. It means you have to bring in new systems to support the size that we are. We have to, you know, we're going through a process of really just restructuring life groups because I'm believing for growth. I'm believing for more life change and I want to have in place something that enables everybody to grow and go deeper with God. For me personally, there is a pressure to push me into a mould. And it comes all the time. Now, I want to say to this, that's not unique. Every pastor I know has that pressure. It's just church life. It's not business life, which is why it's been a bit of a shock. Why is it not business life? Because you pay people to be there, that's why. You don't get any pressure that way. But there is pressure, and it comes like this. But it's not about anything specific, but I want to say this, that here's some things I said at the start and I'm renewing as my resolution for this year. It's not changed, but maybe I haven't verbalised it enough. Here's some things I'm going to commit to with you. The first thing I'm going to commit to is I am going to be as real as Jesus made me to be. The person that you see walking and preaching and on this stage is going to be the same person that you meet when I'm not here. I'm not going to put on a, an act to build a wall. I'm going to believe God to give us the people to build the wall. Yeah. Can you see the difference? The second thing I'm going to say is this, and you all know this if you've been in Faith Life for ages, but if you're thinking of joining Faith Life, or if it's a bit of a shock because it's your first morning, well, Happy New Year, <laughs> is this. Because you, you might want to know this, and you might think it's good, you might not, but it's the truth. I will not be a people-pleasing leader who has my life shaped by what people think. It is my intention to be a Jesus-pleasing leader who has his life shaped by Jesus. Yeah. They are very different. And that second one is much harder to walk as a church leader than the first one. And I want you to join me in it. Now, so coming back to my question and just finishing up. So what, I ask God, what do you want me to do this year? What do you want me to focus on this, this year? And this is what he said, Philippians 3.10. This is my New Year's project. That I may know him. Yeah. And the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of the sufferings being conformed to his image to be like him. That's what God's working on in me. Now, I might not, you might not go, well, actually, I'm not very pleased with who you are, Mark, at the moment, and I, and I don't like what you are or whatever, or you're not holy enough, Mark, for me or whatever. I've got, can, can I ask you, if that's what you think, pray for me, because I need prayer. I'm doing my best. But what I want to be is I want to be like Jesus. So that's the best thing to pray for for me. That's the best thing to pay for for Cheryl. That's the best thing to pay for for the rest of the leadership team. That's the best thing to pay for for anybody in this church is to be like Jesus. Yeah. You see, 
Over the life of this church, I've seen lives changed. I've seen not one, not two, not three, not five, not ten marriages saved. I've seen people come out of the deepest level of debts. I've seen lives where they were addicted to all sorts of things break out of those addictions. I've seen um, people cope with the most unbearable situations. I've seen people's lives saved. I've seen people come back from suicide attempts. I've seen um, person after person come to faith in God. I've seen people able to stand where they would have fallen before because they understood what it means to have faith in a God who is everlasting to everlasting. And so, for me, this man, Jesus, he fascinates me. Because he's the only one that can change anything. He's the only one that will bring permanent change in a situation. He's the only one that can rescue from addiction. He's the only one that will get rid of gambling that is destroying your life. He's the only one that can restore a marriage. He's the only one that can change your life. Because he's the only one with the power to do it. And that's why we don't sacrifice the power in the interest of building the wall. Do you understand what I'm saying? And that's why I say things, and I believe this, that I want this church to reach as many people as possible. I want this church to reach as many people as possible. Why? Because I am addicted. And I am addicted to change lives. And the more lives we can reach and the more barriers we can take down that stop people even connecting with us and the more we can work together and partner together and love each other, the more lives we will see changed. I know it's a little bit longer than usual this morning. But I want to just... Some of you have seen this email. But I, I just want to go back to this. It, there was a, a young couple. Well, he, they, they, he was a young guy. He came to us. He didn't want to know anything about God. He had dreadlocks. He had all sorts of issues. He was a pagan. He worshipped cats, trees, did satanic circles, did all sorts of things. You wouldn't want to go near him. And he came to faith life. And although he wouldn't talk to anybody, he wouldn't look you in the eye, and he smelt a bit at the time. He kept coming. And he met Jesus and his life changed. And he married the girl that he kept coming with. And he grew and I discipled him for four years. And he grew and he grew and he grew and he's one of the strongest faith guys I know. And they live in Sweden now. They're called Nats and Simeon. And early in December... They lost a baby while it was still in the womb. This is the email that we received the morning after. Joy comes in the morning. This morning we met face to face with Noah, N-O-A. Little girl. Simeon's half French, half Swede, Swiss, and a bit of something else. So I don't know where these names come from. As beautiful as we imagined. She was birthed this morning. All we want to do is give thanks for the beautiful handiwork and what a marvel she is. 
For you did form her inward parts, you did knit her together in her mother's womb. Even now our hearts bubble with joy that Noah is in the mighty hand of God forever. And we too can join in that safety and rest. Me and Simeon still believe in the absolute goodness of God and his love for us. Yes, we do. God can still do miracles. We have the choice to subject God's goodness to our pain or not. Noah was not taken before her time, but was subject to the pain of sin and its wake in a fallen world. In Noah's honour and remembrance, we will not subject God's goodness to that same pain and that fallen world. Our passion is to see God's kingdom reign on this earth as it is in heaven. Sick and dead raised, we believe it. To tear down the enemy stronghold and take back what was stolen. We want justice. We want to dance on the justice that we see. Let our joy, love and worship be, as I said a few days ago, be like nuclear bombs in the enemy camp. This is for you, mighty prayer warriors and angels of hope. Death, where is your sting? I'm addicted to lives that are changed in that way, that can stand in that sort of circumstance and not lose sight of the goodness of God. So, I have a second question. It's a harder one than the first one because I want you to join me on that journey and I want you to invite others to join us on that journey and we want to reach as many as we can. So this is my second question. Now, it might look flippant at first and you might walk out and say and forget it by one o'clock, but this is my last line. So if you forget it, you don't have to listen to me any longer after I ask this question. This is the question. It's not on the board. Okay, take it. <laughs> In 2016, will Jesus be a weekend activity or will he be a daily priority? In 2016 and beyond, is Jesus going to be a weekend activity or a daily priority? In 2016, is being part of this body going to be a weekend activity or is it going to be a priority? Who is number one? Who is number one? What is number one in your life? What is your life built around? Where, what's your time built around? What's your energies built around? What's your passions built around? Is Jesus a weekend activity or a daily priority? Real question, real life, real answers please. Amen. Let's stand.